Welcome to the Digital Forester podcast, where we talk to foresters about how they are using digital technologies in their day-to-day forestry work. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Digital Forester podcast. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Dale Freed. He's the founder and CEO of 3DEO. Dale, how are you today? Hey, doing great. Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Good stuff. Good stuff. So where are we reaching you today in this world of digital? We never know where people are, but I, I believe you're somewhere in the U.S.? Yes, that's right. I'm in uh, the roaring metropolis of Norwood, Massachusetts, which is a suburb of the Boston area. Okay. Been okay. here for a while. Very cool. So I know looking, uh, just just for the people, our, our audience and our viewership, uh, we are going to be talking about LiDAR, a different type of LiDAR today, but um, Dale is also going to be showing some data. So typically, you know, we've got the audio podcast, just for those who who often are on the audio side. This is one at some point you might want to switch to the video, the YouTube side, if you want to check out some of the visuals, since obviously we can describe it to the best of our ability. But at some point, you know, counting millions of photons and trying to explain that uh, verbally is, is just at least I will epically fail in that description. So I just encourage some folks, you may want to go on the, the video version of this podcast uh, later on in the day. So just to kick things off, Dale, I know looking at LinkedIn, um, you're a physics guy, you know, bachelor's degree in physics from Washington State University, and then PhD at MIT. So maybe walk me through your, you know, to get started, like, how did you, you just always love physics, um, you know, you're always a technical person, but what, what drew you into that space to start off? Yeah, no, thanks for the question. I started in electrical engineering, actually. My dad uh, was an electrical engineer, and I, I knew I enjoyed technical things, um, but I, I, I kept I kept getting told that quantum mechanics was just weird and magic somehow. And I'm like, that can't be, you know? And so I, I took a few more physics classes and I found I really enjoyed it. And then I was, uh, I did some undergrad research with a uh, professor in the chemistry department, physical chemistry. And, uh, and that made it pretty obvious. I wanted to go more on the science side than the engineering side. Although now it's interesting. I'm back to doing engineering and I, I really enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. I know it's, it's funny. I have a, a good friend, he's in the the quantum uh, physics world of things. And when I remember one time we were camping and we were talking and he said about, um, you know, forestry and remote sensing, he said, you know, it's it's so interesting. And meanwhile, he's living in the qubits world and all stuff I don't understand. But I was like, I think your stuff is like way more interesting. He said, but no, you get to go out, you know, in the field, you know, touch things. It's like, I, I'm in this theoretical world working with these models. And I'm like, oh, okay, I guess to each their own uh, perspective perspective there but maybe for our listener i'm curious as a canadian you're 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 an american was it easy to get into mit it was just uh, you know you just had to score really high on the courses it was just a walk in the park but but tell me maybe that journey because that was coast to coast right uh, it, it was yeah no it was i um well they 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 uh, the folks at MIT took a real uh, gamble on me, I would say. Um, they were, I was, I, they, they probably wanted someone from out West or something, but no, the professor that I worked for as an undergrad, I, I think he, uh, he, he wrote a recommendation that I, I really appreciated. Um, I never read it, but uh, I assume that's what uh, helped, uh, helped turn the tide. Um, but yeah, no, it was, uh, it was quite a move. I remember Washington State is out West, it's dry. 
And August, I, I showed up in Boston and I walked down the jetway coming off the jet and I'm just like hit with this wave of humidity. And I said, oh, no, what have I done? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've come. I ended up staying in the Boston area. And I was going to say you're still there. So obviously something, uh, some aspect, uh, you know, you found a, a liking to. So very cool. Yep. So for our, our listeners and viewers, right, we're, this is a forestry technology podcast. We will get there. Um, for many who are listening, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be asking a lot of dumb questions on my behalf and maybe our listener and viewers' behalf since we're going to go into a space that's quite different. So, Dale, historically in our world, you know, we, it was airborne laser scanning or, or LIDAR. And, and then now over the last couple of years, you know, we had linear LIDAR. And, and you know, I, I think back to the days in forestry where we were just talking about, you know, scanning a transect of LIDAR, you know, um, Ross Nelson from um, NASA Goddard Space um, Institute, um, you know, very early technology. But now there's this language of linear mode, there's single fo photon ladder, there's Geiger mode. So I'm going to take us back and, as I said, ask some of the basic questions and some of our, our viewers, either one, they've, they've heard of single photon ladder, they've heard of Geiger mode ladder, or I'm suspecting some Forrester's boots on the ground, um, Joe, Jane Forster are, are going to say, you know, I, I'm I'm not really an expert in LIDAR. So I'm wondering, could you maybe to start us off, give us some basics in terms of the differences of, of Geiger mode and, and linear mode, what we're used to, and maybe to kick things off like Geiger, is this like, what's, what's the, what's the, the meaning of, of Geiger? Yeah, no, certainly. And, and this is a subject I'm very passionate about. You might have to stop me at some point, but uh, so uh, you've heard of Geiger counters, um, where you have a, a, an x-ray or something that comes through a tube and then it goes click uh, every time you get a, a incidence of radiation. Uh, so what we're talking about here is a kind of a solid state version of that where we have a, a photodiode, um, very much like you would use uh, in a linear mode LIDAR, um, where you know it absorbs a photon and it creates an electrical signal. But the difference is these these particular devices, and we're talking about individual pixels that are maybe 50 microns, uh, so 0 0.05 millimeters in size. Um, each one of those is optimized to act as a Geiger counter. Um, so in particular, when you get a photon that hits it, instead of having a very tiny electrical signal that you have to amplify up with uh, RF amplifiers and that sort of thing, um, instead, um, the, the way these devices are made is there's actually a, you know, volt level voltage fluctuation. And uh, so that's much easier to detect. And in particular, what um, there's been a huge amount of development done by uh, multiple organizations, including MIT Lincoln Lab, where I'm from. So I'm kind of biased as well as other places. Uh, and, and now they're uh, commercialized. So you can, you can buy these uh, devices. Um, where uh, there's whole arrays of these in between, uh, behind each pixel, each of these little Geiger counter pixels, um, there's a, a digital circuit that's a timing circuit. So in particular, you start the clock when your laser pulse goes out, and then the clock runs um, at a kind of a two gigahertz rate. So it's, it's counting really fast. And then when that photon comes in and there's a click, then we stop the counter. And that gives us the time. So we have really a stopwatch. And sometimes people say it's a, it's a, 
photon to digital converter um, or a, a photon to time converter um, where a photon comes in and what comes out is a digital number that represents time. Often in cameras, we think of the digital readout being the brightness, you know, uh, or the, you know, a, a brightness in a color channel. Here, the digital readout is the time of arrival of an individual photon. Okay, very, very cool. And is this, I know you mentioned with, with uh, the, the Geiger side of things, it doesn't sound like this, that aspect is bleeding edge maybe that's been around is it a fair statement to say it's more how these technologies have come together that creates the the innovation if that's true what's the origin of geiger mode lidar i believe um you know looking doing my research there's you know some darpa or some defense you know connotations and, and as we know the internet came from some darpa r&d and stuff um but how did this come about or maybe what was the driver behind this geiger mode technology because again in the the linear mode world that a lot of us end users are familiar with. Um, this is kind of new, new, a new space things. Uh, you know, at times when I thought about it, I'm like, is this the, the, the radar equivalent of remote sensing where it's just a bit more complicated and scary enough versus we've got satellites taking multispectral or hyperspectral imagery, but it's a picture I can relate to versus, you know, radar technology is just a little bit different. But with this stuff, like where's the origin for this or the, the the trigger to say, hey, maybe we could use this this Geiger mode stuff in, in a LIDAR world? Yeah. Uh, so, to you know, to the best of my knowledge, um, there was a, a desire uh, in the defense and security world to be able to do LIDAR kind of sensing, you know, distance sensing with a laser um, at very long distances. Um, you know, looking at uh, missiles or, you know, things like that. Um, and in order to uh, be anywhere close to iSafe at, you know, reasonable distances, the, there was a real need to reduce the amount of power that was required. And, and people looked at technologies that were available and found that um, if, you, if you work through all the math for at the end of the day, what does it take to be able to do a range measurement um, with these? Um, and I'll call it a, a photon sensitive system where we're sensitive to individual photons and we're uh, recording each one. Those kinds of systems um, allow these range measurements to be done with high confidence um, with on the order of five detected photons. Um, whereas in a more uh, a linear mode system, the noise sources and stuff are different and the, the physics is a little different for the detection problem. And to get a, a, a similar uh, level of certainty, of reliability of doing your range measurement, uh, it turns out you need hundreds and often thousands of, of uh, detected photons um, to, uh, to get a reliable result. And so for looking for long distances or for uh, low size, weight and power, if you don't wanna have a big laser, you want a small aperture, a small laser, um, then uh, working in this uh, photon counting regime or photon sensitive regime, it turns out to be uh, better. So in the defense industry, um, uh, there was a lot of development in particular taking uh, Geiger mode uh, avalanche photodiodes, these detectors, and turning them into arrays. Um, uh, so make a whole camera out of these things. And so that now you're doing uh, thousands, tens of thousands um, uh, of measurements in parallel at a very high rate. Uh, so it started in the in the defense industry, uh, best of my knowledge, and um, then in the last uh, you know uh, seven to eight nine years, roughly, is where 
uh, there's been some tech spin outs um, from some of the government labs uh, to produce these camera devices. So you can go buy them now and design them into products and they can be built and uh, developed. Cool. So I feel like we need an episode of Jack Ryan or something on Amazon Prime to, to show Guppier mode stripping away the trees and seeing the tanks or missiles hidden under the, the, the foliage to, to draw that parallel. But you mentioned you're coming from MIT Lincoln Lab. Um, is that the the genesis of 3DO? Because 3DO is being, I, I think, based on the LinkedIn profile, around for eight years you've been um, leading that. But but is that the was that the spark? I guess with MIT Lincoln Lab that got you interested in this and propelled you into 3DO. It it really is. Yeah, when I started at at Lincoln Lab, I never heard of a lidar before. Um, and I, I had a great boss there who, uh, who uh, got me into, into this area, and I was able to devote um, the vast majority of my professional life at Lincoln Lab to Geiger Mode LiDAR system uh, development and demonstration. So it was a, it was a great amount of fun, yeah. and uh, kind of got to the end of a project, and seemed like the stars had aligned both from a market standpoint and a uh, component availability standpoint. Um, and in my personal life, it was a great time to, to go out and, and uh, commercialize it. Um, MIT Lincoln Lab um, does a, a great job of uh, uh, doing uh, system demonstrations, technology development, um, but, their, but their mission is to do kind of that core tech development and then transition it to industry to start you know, commercializing, to build it, uh, build many copies of things. And so, uh, yeah, it's been, it's, been, it's been a great run. Cool. So I know you mentioned that, um, you know, there's an eye safety component. So often, um, you know, in the linear mode, right, we've got to be at a certain altitude because it's using like a class four laser and then from a safety, uh, safety is paramount. But I'm in the world I'm used to, I guess, these these lasers are in the the infrared or near infrared ranges. Uh, can you, what can you tell me about the the physics, I guess, or the wavelengths of the lasers? Are they the same um, wavelength or are they somehow different? Uh, there's different options available. Uh, uh, some of the first um, Geiger mode APD arrays, the cameras, uh, were made with silicon. Um, and it turns out that the physics is such that you want to use um, visible or, or near visible light. So, you know, 532 or 7, 780 um, uh, nanometers. Um, there's also uh, Geiger mode APDs that work at, at one micron, which is what our systems tend to use. And that just has to do with the availability uh, of, of uh, uh, laser sources and detectors. And then there's also ones at uh, 1.5 micron and there's work that uh, goes up beyond that as well. Okay, very cool, very cool. So in, in my research prepping for this, and again, I, I've heard, I think the first time I heard about Geiger mode LiDAR might've been going five years back and, and at the time, um, there were some challenges in terms of the data processing. Again, as you know, five years is, you know, eons in the compute world, like, you know, the, the amount of data we can move, the new technologies has, has changed. But I'm thinking for our listeners and audiences, uh, Geiger is different in the sense of how it scans and how it, uh, you know, it's, it's not, let's say, doing a linear mode sawtooth pattern beam pattern, you're actually, I believe you called it a, a field of regard, where you're actually looking at it from multiple angles. So as the aircraft's moving through, you're kind of, I don't want to say shooting at it, but kind of shooting at it at different perspectives. Is that a fair description? Or maybe could you describe to us uh, 
how we go about acquiring data in Geiger mode. Because again, I believe, as you've alluded, you're counting individual photons, and I'm assuming that's being counted at a voxel level, so a three-dimensional pixel, and depending if there's a threshold, uh, you're you're saying if there's something there or not. But just by saying that, I'm also like, wow, this is like next level Star Trek-y compute, because like, like, how do you, like, there's got to be billions of photons you've counted, right? So right. maybe to start things off, how do we acquire LiDAR data? It's an aircraft, a drone, or it's kind of usual emissions, and, and we'll go from there. Yeah, um, uh, lots of, uh, you gave me a, a, a pl wonderful platter of things to talk about. Uh, so uh, Geiger mode has to do with the technology of the receiver itself. Um, now, you can make a, a, a LiDAR, you can put the pieces together in different ways, optimizing for different things. So um, the, this, uh, the photon sensitivity part means that you can take uh, a lot of measurements very quickly and from long standoff at low power levels. Um, so uh, for example, um, in, uh, in, in our systems, you know, a typical data recording rate um, might be on the order of 200 to 500 megabytes a second. And the vast majority of that is two bytes per detected photon. So you can, I guess that means a, on the order of 100 million detected photons per second. Now, we typically plan our collections so that for each, you know, what I like to call a resolution element on the ground and a volume in which we would like to, to see if there's something there or not. Maybe it's a square foot, maybe it's 10 centimeters. Um, for each one of those, if I really intend to uh, get a reliable measurement, I, I plan for on the average of 10 detected photons because sometimes things are brighter or dimmer or whatever. So typically mission planning, we plan for on the order of 10, maybe 20, depending on what we're trying to do. Um, so now um, with that uh, 200 million or uh, 200 megabytes a second, you know, 100 million to 150 million photons per second. Um, now I maybe divide that by 10 again. So now I'm down to, down to 10 to 15 million kind of finished measurements per second uh, that, that we do. And if, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of making some generalizations. So that's the detector side. Now you ask about the scanning um, and we're really proud of that. We've, we've implemented scanning in a little different way than um, some other folks do. And, and we think it has, well, we know based on our experience, it has a lot of utility in particular um, for urban mapping as well as for forestry. So the idea is um, because we're using a camera, I like to think of it as like a, a, a my, my, my cell phone camera, wherever my cell phone is, I got my, I got my camera and I have a flashlight, right? And I, and the camera is small, it's, it's kilopixels. It's like four kilopixels. And so it's, it's quite small. And so I make my flashlight, my laser small as well. And now I can scan those two things and point them wherever I want. Now, the fact that the camera is not just a single pixel, but it's actually kind of large means I don't have to move it super, super fast. In some linear mode systems, if I just have a single laser beam, I have to really zip it around really fast uh, in order to use it efficiently. So here I can move a little slower, which gives me some more flexibility in terms of the technology that's available for the scanners. And in fact, we've put together a scanning system and I work with a great team of people. Um, they do all the hard work uh, of 
we have these two mirrors that are orthogonal. They move the beam in orthogonal directions. And we can address a total area looking down from the airplane. Um, or uh, we also have a sideways looking system for a different project, not forestry. Um, but looking down from the airplane, we can do plus or minus 20 degrees. So 40 degrees total in the along track direction and 40 degrees total in the across track direction. So that means as we fly along, um, a given point on the ground, we can look at it looking forward. And as we fly along, we can continue to look at it as, as we pass by it. And, and in fact, and I'll stop here in a second. Um, you've been nodding your head very, very interestingly. Thank you. Um, what we actually do is we divide up the ground into a, a set of polygons, a whole trail of these polygons. And as we fly along, we kind of hop between those, those polygons and we interrogate each one once and then we interrogate it again and then we do it again and we do it again. And at the end of the day, as we've flown over, each one of those regions on the ground gets looked at from multiple angles. And that's important for forestry, obviously, because you want to find some holes to look through. Um, and so by looking from many angles, you can kind of fill in the ground better or fill in the tree trunks or whatever. In an urban mapping situation, that's also important because you want to get the sidewalls of buildings and look under the awnings and all that sort of thing. Yeah, for sure. No, definitely very cool. And I'm nodding here for those who are watching because I'm, I'm I'm stitching things together and like so many questions are are popping out because one, it's it's kind of sounding like um, how your scanning is is unique to 3D EO versus the Geiger's maybe some right. of the parts are are general. So that that's unique. So so for the 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 lay guy here, uh, you know, often I, I like to paraphrase things into the things I can understand. But if I heard you correctly, like you, you got an aircraft moving and basically like your smartphone analogy, I'm kind of flashing, looking at the ground like multiple times based on on how your 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 scanning technology works, which is neat. Um, and, and so maybe tell me about how high you fly and what that means for coverage. Because I'm assuming like connected dots, this means you can fly higher than traditional linear and go faster than a traditional linear mode, which means cheaper, more data, better data and cheaper maybe. Is that a fair statement? That's uh, that's what we're uh, trying to, to do. We are uh, actually uh, seeking to understand better what the exact requirements are for answering different questions in the forestry industry. You know, if you're just looking at the tops of the trees, then we don't need to kind of pound as much light down at the ground. And so flying higher, scanning wider um, is very appropriate. If, you're, if, you're, if you have dense foliage and you're really trying to see the ground or the tree trunks um, in high degree of detail, then you have to slow down. But frankly, all systems have to slow down to, to do that and to poke harder. Um, so back to your question, uh, yes, uh, flying higher, scanning wider um, is part of the competitive advantage we have. Um, but I think also in addition to that, um, with, the, with the Geiger mode systems, because we're detecting um, and time stamping uh, photons one at a time, it turns out we can aggregate together many, many, many laser pulses, thousands of laser pulses. Um, even the ones taking from different angles looking in. And um, at the end of the day, we put all of that raw data together. And then we look to see, did we get our five to 10 photons from a, from a surface uh, under, under the canopy? So in other words, the amount of light that we get back on any laser pulse can be exceedingly small. You know, uh, 
uh, one percent of a photon on average, meaning it would take a hundred pulses to see even one. Um, whereas with a linear mode um, lidar, one of the differences there's um, typically uh, uh, thresholding circuitry, analog circuitry, and there's noise going along here, and it's looking for a pulse, right? But if that pulse is down in the noise, you just can't pull it out. And so that's one use case where in a highly obscured environment, um, using this Geiger mode technology can be quite beneficial. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're definitely very, very interesting. And and so thinking of that flight altitude, is it 10,000 feet, this thing? Mm. Because it sounds like, if I'm hearing you right, it, I, I hate to say, but it's like, well, it depends, Kevin, what, you know, what the use case is and what we're trying to do that will determine the flight. But but it's sounding like it's not like a linear mode, like, you know, and again, some of the linear mode can go higher, of course, depending on the point density target. But it's sounding like this is what, like, is it a like a 10,000 foot type of flight? And how much area can we cover given uh, an average point density? Like what, what can you give us a number yeah. so someone can relate to it in their head? Yeah, um, a, a, a good rough number for looking at just uh, the first surfaces of, of what's out there, just urban mapping, say, for example. Um, flying at uh, 10,000 feet, we get uh, area collection rates of around 1,000 square kilometers per hour. Uh, at point densities um, on the order of, um, and I'm sorry, I don't want to lie to your viewers, and I'm going to just cheat here for a second, um, uh, uh, 25 points per square meter. Wow. Okay. Something okay. like that. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, I, I, I remember early days where we were half a pulse per square meter, you know, one point per square meter or a pulse per square meter, so this is very different. But what that's... That's a good comment because it's going to lead me down a different question, which I suspect it's not a straight answer. In the linear mode, often it's like, all right, it's like we're targeting, you know, I want five points per square meter. I need 16. I need 50% side lap, et cetera. I'm sensing because we're counting photons for any flight mission, it's not as cut and dry as here's the point density because it sounds like the point density is variable to what you set maybe in your data processing because you're counting the photons per voxel. Is that a fair statement? And if true, um, the follow-on question or two part, I guess, is talk to me about point density in this Geiger mode, but as well the voxel, like are these like big voxels? Are they kind of small or, 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 or how does that world look like? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, the, it, and it is different. Um, so I'll, I'll back up just a second to say uh, in the Geiger mode systems where we have a, a detector array, actually this is true for all uh, flash LiDAR systems where you're using an array of some sort, um, you get your spatial resolution on the receiver side. It really is an imaging system that's illuminated by a laser. Whereas with a lot of linear mode systems, in fact, I think the vast majority, there's one or maybe two laser beams and it, the narrowness of that laser beam sets the spatial resolution. Okay, so that's important to say because now on every laser pulse, I get returns from all these different pixels. And especially with Geiger mode or single photon, I have to, in processing, go, you know, try to find, where do I find these 
lumps or concentrations of photons. Most likely that's a real surface. There is noise that does come through. Sometimes, you know, things happen. Either there's a little bit of background light or something, but that's those are photons that are not correlated with any surface. Um, and so we have to go exclude those uh, and, and retain just the ones that came from a surface. So as you said, as you indicated, the resolution at which we do that can be adjusted in processing. We don't have to use the spatial resolution of our imaging system. We can be coarser if we want. So for example, sometimes, um, you know, I might fly, for example, at, at uh, 10,000 feet, you know, my spatial resolution on the ground, that is to say the, the size of my pixels with the, um, you know, the appropriate amount of fuzz around them, that's on the order of 24 centimeters. Um, but I might make a data product that is half meter resolution because I just want a lot of area quickly and I can tolerate less resolution. So that saves the customer money. They don't have to, um, they, they can fly, uh, they can scan wider areas. And with our, with our uh, agile scanning system, we can program in uh, on the ground, you know, is that a 500 meter swath, a one kilometer swath or whatever. And regardless of the altitude of the ground, uh, the roll and pitch of the airplane, we always scan just the area that we were intending to scan. That's a lot of words. I hope that helps. Yeah, no, no, it's really, it's 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 really cool. It's it's uh, that's why I joked it. It's lighter, and yet it's not lighter because it's different enough. Because just as you describe that, the number of photons that you're you're counting, like this is large volume data. So thinking of a job, a typical job, or 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 what would a typical job be? Is this like thanks? I've flown the the 3DO Geiger mode. I'll talk to you five years later because the pipeline, the data price, the processing pipeline will be done then because there's so many points. I'm assuming there's some magic behind the scenes to pump this stuff out quickly, especially if you're maybe a 10 centimeter voxel and counting and saying, you know, uh, I've detected this. Is there a threshold that's exceeded? And yes, that's a real target. But I'm assuming that's a lot of data, like. What's what's the typical turnaround for for a project? Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question because the on a on a linear mode lidar where there's an analog detection circuitry, you're doing kind of analog computation, right? And and you you get the answer uh, pretty much immediately. So here we're doing all this digital signal processing, which is great because we can dream up all kinds of fancy algorithms, uh, but it's a downside because it takes time to run. Um, the short answer to your question is uh, right now at 3DEO, our processing pipeline is not nearly as fast as we would like it to be. We've spent a lot of time building the hardware and we've done, we've started using that hardware for customers and we're uh, getting the processing in shape. However, the good news story is, as you might imagine in the DOD world, you know, no general is going to wait for a year to get his product right right and so in fact there are you know multiple programs where there's uh, effectively real-time onboard processing of this data with a reasonable kind of swap of the size weight and power of the processing system so we know it's possible um we're working on that and uh, very excited about some of the directions we're taking on that for sure very cool and i so so i guess from that that comment dale just for clarity for our listeners and viewers so 3d you're manufacturing these these geiger mode systems and selling them the hardware and the processing um right. less you're not renting them or you're not necessarily a, a acquisition company you're a manufacturer of the the technology side yeah we'll we'll rent them to you if you want to rent them um 
Uh, and we also uh, are, are doing uh, some collections for people because really the technology is different enough that I wouldn't expect anybody to just jump in with two, both feet and, you know, hold, you know, they, they want to see some test data. Yeah. How does this really work? And do you really get the performance that you're talking about? And so we're really happy to do some of those kind of proof of concept demos. And we've done uh, several of those so far. Sure. Very cool. And I believe you have a Zion 1 sensor, a Zion 2. And then so it seems like you're progressing the technology on an order of magnitude, like from a cost. Because again, foresters, uh, they're probably waiting. They know they're, they're, they're secret. Like, when's he going to ask? When's he going to ask? <laughs> normally always ask within the first 30 seconds, how much does this cost? Because if it's not realistic, like we don't even need to talk anymore. Um, but not to put you on the spot, but from an order of magnitude point of view, I, I know linear LIDARs can often be million, million and a half range. Um, where does your technology sit from an order of magnitude uh, point of view? Uh, well, you know, we would charge as much as the market will bear. But the fact <laughs> of the matter is um, uh, our value proposition is a sensor that's on the same order of magnitude of cost as the very best systems you could buy from somebody else, but with substantially increased capability. We have to make it compelling for people to want to try our stuff out. Absolutely. Um, and so we figure if about the same cost, maybe a little bit more by the time you get all the processing and everything put together, but not, I mean, not 2x. Definitely right. less than 2x more, yeah. um, but a lot more capability, um, which sure. really helps in a lot of situations. For sure. So before we switch gears more into the forestry side, because I think this is the good Geiger mode 101 and the 3DO technology 101, hopefully for our listeners and viewers, you're like, okay, I generally get how this um, technology uh, works. Uh, but when we draw the parallel into the forestry world, it's super cool because one, it's like, and I'll get you to talk about it in more detail, but you can strip the canopy off a, a stand, a four right. stand. You could potentially in some of the data sets, and, and I'm just paraphrasing because Dale was kind of to, to share with me a presentation before this, which we'll we'll talk about at the end, or maybe I'll get you to, to, to comment it on in the end, but we can see the shadows of the trees in your data set because as you're passing by as you said you're you're kind of spotlighting from different angles which kind of blew my mind away to be honest with you, you kind of see like the shadow of the trees like that's not a photo right like like multi-spectrally optical like this is an active uh lidar uh, a laser but yet i'm seeing that the shadow of this tree trunk on the ground which then my understanding is you're stitching all these scans together to count in these voxels to see if i've got something something there and I'm sure I'm bastardizing the magic of science there but let's go into the use case of forestry because some people are probably dying to know like like what does this mean for me but those are two examples that struck me as as very odd and you commented earlier is oh I can see from different angles and so when we think about forestry with pretty dense canopies this is a compelling point because you might not see it the first shot but if I'm looking at it from multiple angles maybe I am going to get more penetration, maybe even see the, the 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 tree trunks themselves. So maybe what's the genesis of 3DO and forestry? How did this come to be where you're like, you know what, I'm going to scan some forest. And I'm sure the forester is like, Dale, I got no money. It's like, uh, are you right? It's like, like, can you pay me? Anything? No, no. It's like, I need to do a trial. I need to do a beta, right? Before I, I do something. But what was that, that, that spark um, for you to get into the forestry space and say, hey, what can we do with this technology? Uh, yeah, good, good question. And um, 
so actually within the DOD, um, one of the unique capabilities of, of LIDAR is being able to look under the canopy. Um, a lot of 3D measurement of cities or something like that, you actually can do, as you, I'm sure you're aware, with um, uh, cameras that are, you know, you do the photogrammetry, putting together the imagery from many angles and do the trig and turn the crank. And I'm sure it's a very complicated crank, but out comes 3D imagery. You can't really look through foliage if there's any amount of occlusion at all, um, except with with LIDAR. So in the in the defense and security world, um, LIDAR has a really unique place and a compelling uh, value proposition there. So we've done a lot of work looking through uh, dense canopy, um, both on you know systems that we've built and systems that we've helped build, and you know previous lives, you know systems that we built and systems that we support and all that sort of thing. So it's very natural for us to think about uh, forestry. We're usually trying to find stuff on the ground. And so the idea of looking at the stems of the trees, that was kind of interesting. And um, uh, you know, a, a partner that we've worked with for quite a while on other projects came to us with a, with a forestry uh, particular application, which got us thinking about the forestry, the, the metrics for the, the trees themselves. And I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna need to stop right there because I'm kind of getting kind of close to the edges of some NDA. So I'll just stop with that. Absolutely, for sure. Yeah, so definitely, uh, again, for our le le viewers, listeners, I always brief our, our people on the show. It's like, you know, share what you can openly, but at some point there's always going to be some sensitivities. Um, so so that's totally fine with that. Um, so thinking of that, would you say the adoption of foresters? And again, I tease my forestry colleagues, like I'm not saying you're all cheap and never do any R&D innovation. And I'm sure there's people busting out um, laughing because they know what I mean, but I'm not saying that, but I'm going to tease my, my community there uh, because in some respects, foresters will go full tilt on a piece of technology. Don't even care about costs as long as it solves the problem is easy to use and it works. Um, so with this, what would you say the adoption rate of Geiger mode technology, or, or I will say Geiger mode technology in general, not just 3DO technology, would you say it's like 50%, 25%, a hundred percent maybe, or like 2% or zero? Like where, 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 where are we in that spectrum? Yeah. Well, I'm not obviously privy to what my competitors are doing. Um, my sense though, is it's really at the infancy. Um, and I think the reason for that is a lot of the analytics that you have to calculate, you know, things that are actually, like you said, solving a real problem, like this, I've got, you know, 300 acres of timber here, what's it worth, right? There's a lot of math to do between our output data products and that answer. And um, I think the people who invest in that will reap huge benefits because we can, we'll be able to provide that input data uh, over large scales at a very affordable price point for high levels of detail. We're talking hundreds of points per square meter effectively. I mean, they're, they're kind of distributed down vertically, but um, you know, these uh, uh, high point densities, uh, measurement densities, maybe I should say. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a, there'll be a big upside for people who are willing to, to make the investment. So I guess thinking before we go into the visual, because I know I, I, we, we set them up right at the start, Dale, we're like, we're going to show something. Um, so they're all probably all switch to the YouTube video side waiting and going like, they're just talking. Why? <laughs> I'm, I'm in the car and like I stopped and I switched. Uh, but before we go there, a question, uh, the, another dumb question 
Um, again, I, I know I'm very good at asking these dumb questions. Single photon liner, Geiger mode, are they the same? Just called different things or they're different? I, I don't want to speak for my colleagues in the single photon world. My, my interpretation is it's basically the same. However, they've um, at the uh, uh, Sigma space, which is um, not part of Leica Geosystems, they, um, they made some slightly different system trade-off choices in the signal levels that they use and the amount of background noise that they have. Um, and yeah, I, I'll leave it there because I, I, I don't want to say anything negative about their technology if I don't understand it. Um, right. it's, it right. certainly is. It's photon sensitive. They're digitizing the time of arrival of individual photons. There's certain technical advantages that their detectors have as compared to our detectors. And there's disadvantages as well. For sure. So the commonality is you're working at the photon level, not a pulse, laser pulse. Right. Yeah. Okay. So right. that totally makes sense. So maybe, um, do you want to share your screen? I know we, sure. not, not, not we, who am I kidding? It's not me. It's like Dale did all the work, but Dale's prepped a, a visual to kind of, what's the what's the right saying to maybe put color to the I'm terrible with these sayings but to really show what this data looks like so um we're going visual now so again for the people who are listening to the audio podcast uh we'll be I'm just checking we'll probably you know at the the the, the 40 minute mark for those maybe um who are watching this after but I'll turn it over to you to Dale and maybe just comment we're looking at a point cloud uh, obviously a, a freaking super dense uh, point cloud, but I'll let you take it away and describe uh, describe what we're seeing. Yeah, so uh, this is a, a little small segment of a of a much larger point cloud that we collected, and I'll I'll just say that we um, we collected this at a at a area collection rate of about um, uh, almost thirty uh, points per uh, sorry thirty square kilometers per hour, uh, just to kind of set the scale. Um, whenever you make statements about uh, uh, LIDAR productivity, you always have to uh, talk about point density, which I'm showing you, and area collection rate. Um, so uh, this is a, a top-down view, and I've cut the side so that we can um, turn this and, and look in from the side. And, and so right now, we're just looking down at the tops of the trees, and the, and the color is the, the Z coordinate. And I'm going to change the coloring um, to be... Uh, going across the image. And uh, I think you'll see here in a second um, why I'm doing that. Um, my, my eight-year-old Mac is a little bit slow here, but if we rotate this around, you, you see these trees here. Um, and again, this is data that was collected at, at about 30 square kilometers per hour. And I'm going to um, you know, click on one of these trees here and just kind of zoom in to what we're seeing. I'll make my points just a, a little bit bigger. And to me, it's it's really exciting to see the level of detail on these deciduous trees. These are mostly deciduous trees. This is a mid-Atlantic uh, scene. Um, but look at the level of detail on these tree trunks, on the branches. You can see where um, the, the, the trunk splits, the stem splits into multiple pieces. Um, and you're also getting excellent coverage on the ground. Now, there is a caveat. This was collected in late March, mid-Atlantic. Uh, it's partial leaf on. So um, it's a great data set, except that um, the, 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 the foliage wasn't completely out yet. So I, I just want to set expectations there. 
Um, but this was, I believe, about 12 different view angles uh, that we collected over the course of uh, four different flight lines looking at each point on the ground. Um, with, because it is the, the Geiger mode data and we have all these photons, um, you know, we, we like to play games with, with how we look at it. Um, and you mentioned the different um, algorithms that one can use to, to process it. This, uh, I'm going to change a parameter here, which is, uh, has to do with the confidence of the measurement. So I can turn that parameter to a small number, meaning I'm going to show all points, even if they have a low confidence. So that means there's also going to be more noise. Um, so let me do that. And of course, now you see, yep, there is, I'll make the points a little smaller. Um, there is a lot of noise under the ground. There's a lot of noise through this cloud, but you also see the outlines of these trees. So you kind of feel like, yeah, we ought to be able to do something with that. On the other hand, if I set this threshold much higher, so I'm saying, yeah, I only want to look at points that really have a high confidence. Um, I, I see that as well. Um, and this is the kind of um, capability or, or uh, uh, a quality of the data that I think will be very useful to people doing uh, machine learning analysis of this kind of data. It gives them some extra knobs to turn so that they can kind of turn it down and look for fine details at the expense of more noise, or they can turn it up to get those big, solid, gross features. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to, to sharing this kind of data with uh, you know anybody and everybody who wants to play with it. Um, we have uh, data sets available to share. Yeah, uh, so very, very, yeah. yeah, very cool, Dale. Like, so, so for those who may be listening and not watching, and, and you can do that later on, um, just to describe maybe again in the Kevin Lim layman's uh, view, I'm I'm seeing you know branch structure. I'm seeing uh, the tree trunks. So for us who are used to airborne lidar, sorry, linear mode lidar. We're used to seeing points in the upper canopy, and then maybe one or two, you know, points on the the actual uh, stem of the tree. In this case, I don't want to say it looks like a terrestrial laser scanning data set, but to some extent, like I can see every single stick um, there, and even some understory structure. So uh, again, I think this is the interesting part, Dale, where you're saying because I'm because your technology scanning and looking at the same same uh, geolocation, I think is the word you're using. Um, from multiple looks that you're kind of almost, if I can't see it this way, then I, I might be able to see it from another look and stitching that together, which then gives you this, this really rich data set of all these points. And again, when Dale switched it to uh, the confidence level, this thing blew up to like you know, tons of points, a lot of noise. But again, that makes sense because you have filled this 3D space with, or recorded, I should say, this 3D space with many voxels, with many measurements, and you're just kind of thresholding, I guess, each of those voxels to figure out, do I have something there? And I'm sure there's advanced uh, capabilities there, but but super cool. So for those who are listening, it's worthwhile when you get back to the office to jump on the YouTube side to, to take a look at, at at this video. So thinking, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch gears now, uh, Dale, and 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 I'm and I'm dying to know personally where is this technology going because in the linear mode at some world i should say at some point we had um, manufacturers that were putting two linear lidar modes looking in different ways they're adding different frequencies multi-frequency lidar and in the forestry space people used to get really excited about well i shouldn't say used to 
I think the jury's still out. Um, how can uh, multi-spectral LiDAR benefit the forestry space? Do you see that in the Geiger Road going that direction in your 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 plans, or or is it still too early and, and you're still proving out the core technology? But I guess the question I, I want to ask is the next two to five years out, where do you see Geiger mode technology and your technology going? Where what gets you excited uh, uh at night or the morning, I guess, uh, uh of each day? Yeah. Uh I well uh, for for us as a company, the processing side, doing, you know, speeding it up, getting it more efficient and then more accurate. And to me it's it's fascinating to think about the the detection and the information theory side of it of how much information can I really get from each photon? Because every photon is precious, you know? And uh, so how much can we learn from those? Intellectually, that's an interesting question. But more importantly, I think um, for in the forestry world, or frankly, also in the um, urban mapping world, um, defense and security world, uh, having uh, algorithms that both run in close to real time, meaning it takes as long to collect the data as it takes to process the data. Um, being able to do real-time processing um, with high levels of detail and specificity and confidence, um, to me, that I, I, I think there's a, a lot of legs on that. Um, the other thing um, is the uh, feeding this data into uh, sophisticated AI algorithms. Now, of course, you have to have training data to go along with that. Um, so uh, again, I think people who invest in that will be well rewarded. Um, uh, because, you know, computers are getting always, you know, faster, more capable and all that sort of thing. So if we can take the digital signal processing, which is admittedly, you know, it's good, but it could, there's still lots of approximations that are made, um, to be able to add more fidelity to the, to the digital signal processing part of this, I think will be super exciting. Um, putting, you know, uh, currently our, our system, um, looks to one side of the aircraft, we can look up to 35 degrees off, but it's basically from vertical over to 35. So, you know, putting two systems on, so we're looking both directions, uh, certainly is a very straightforward uh, step up. Um, and then um, there's other ways that um, we can uh, get more signal without using more laser power, which I'm excited about, um, which are in development. Yeah, very, very, very cool. Yeah, even when you mentioned maybe putting two on, because you're already stitching scans together that you've just two two x the number of scans one sensor might do. So yeah, definitely, definitely interesting from that point of view. Um, curious in the Geiger mode space, obviously, you know, 3DO is uh, uh, creating these systems. Are there a lot of you folks out there doing the Geiger stuff? Or is it still pretty, pretty small niche? Because again, this sounds like well, any LiDAR technology manufacturing is sophisticated as evidenced by, by you coming out of MIT there on the physics side. It's not in every Joe can probably uh, just buy, you know, off uh, Spark Fun online marketplaces and stitch together. Um, but is this, what, what would you say? Like, I, I think I, th I agree with you in the sense of the forestry adoption. It's very early, um, being honest with you. Exciting. But from a manufacturer side of things, is this, is it still early for them for you all too, or or there's always been a large number of you that have done this, and it's just the market wasn't ready to 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 embrace this technology. the The community is is pretty small. I'm not going to say I know everybody, but I've probably heard of at least half of all people 
individuals building Geiger mode LIDAR with the exception of in the, uh, the autonomous vehicle side, there was a big effort there. Um, unfortunately, there's been some changes there. And so there's kind of some revectoring going on there, um, but it is a small community. And um, I think, you know, as we, so our vision as a sensor manufacturer and giving people the tools to go, go do their projects, as opposed to being a collector, I'm hoping that that will lead to much broader adoption um, and uh, more transparency about how you actually process the data, uh, because that's pretty critical. If someone's paying for data, they want to know what the recipe was that created that data. Sure. Um, so this allows there to be more transparency in that process as well. For sure. So I've got another really um, basic question. I, I'm, I, I was going to say dumb again, but I'm sure some people say it's like, there's no dumb question. I'm like, oh, no, I'm good at asking dumb questions. And I'm, I'm OK with that. Would I ever put one of your systems on a UAV or and again, we know the payloads on a commercial UAV are pretty light. And I'm assuming your sensors probably exceeds maybe the, the lift of a UAV. But there's also bigger UAVs that can carry bigger payloads. But is that I'm I'm sensing that's probably not the space you're targeting. You're targeting more jet aircrafts that move. No, okay. No, no, no. Um, we we're we're, uh, we're actively pitching ideas for, you know, if you think about a like a six inch diameter pod, think about like a six inches by say uh, fifteen centimeters by a meter and a half. Thank you for the conversion to the Canadian here. Yep. <laughs> I'm embarrassed. Um, you know, that kind of a pod, which happens to be the size of a Hellfire missile, um, it's entirely possible that with some, you know, uh, serious engineering, our system could fit into that kind of envelope. And then if you couple that with real-time processing in, um, you know, in GPU-based systems and some uh, automated analysis, you know, kind of first-order analysis to, you know, help detect targets or that sort of thing, um, that feels to me like there's a there's a good sized market uh, that you can imagine where that might be useful. Yeah. Um, and then you know once you've done that on the the, the DoD or the the military side, um, there's absolutely uses for that mounting that on a small Cessna or you know those kind of uh, single engine single prop pro, uh, planes would be. Um, if you can make these in volume, you bring, bring down the cost and therefore they're more accessible to people. Yeah. So looking at my notes, there's one question I forgot to ask. And again, it's in the, the basic rudimentary category. I'll try and avoid using the D word. Uh, but LiDAR typically flies day or night, um, whether it's sensitive. So if we're working at the photon level, um, can we fly day or night? And and is weather now more of a problem because it'll obscure, create more noise with the photon counting or or or, or it don't matter? Um, the the background light uh, does give us more noise. And so, you know, you saw how we have uh, ways to go through the point clouds and try to figure out where there's concentrations of signal. So that gets stressed a little bit more. And to be able to overcome the noise, maybe instead of planning for an average of 10 detected photons, maybe we increase it to 15. It's not a showstopper. It does uh, reduce the efficiency slightly, but it's not it, it's definitely not a showstopper. And in fact, you know, being able to fly uh, day or night as compared to, you know, passive systems means you have twice as twice as many hours of the day in which you can avoid weather, you know. So I obviously if there's fog or, you know, clouds or things like that, we can't see through through that. It, it's normal optics that any LIDAR system has to deal with. For 
Sure. Cool. So looking forward, I, I've taken your thinking or stretched you two to five year out. You're a technology guy. So technology, like you were working a certain period of time, but I suspect, again, you're commercializing technology, you're an entrepreneur, the brain probably don't shut down at 5 p.m. on a weekday. And your family's probably like, like, you know, he keeps talking, he's always working, but that's the, 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 the benefit or maybe the curse of being an entrepreneur. But what does 10 years out look for you? Do, you? do you see a different version of Geiger or something else coming? Like, because again, we got linear mode, you know, Geiger, single photon. Is there something else that excites you? Or do you think we've kind of pushed the limits um, of LiDAR technology and now it's really about fully commercializing, uh, building pipelines to, to provide almost you know, real-time data processing? Where do you see that 10-year uh, world look uh, for 3DO and yourself? Yeah, well, I think uh, making uh, uh, better engineered systems that are super reliable, that are compact, um, and I, you know, I look at some of our competitors on the linear mode side, and they have some really nice systems. They're very well built. They're easy to use. You turn them on and they work. Um, or at least that's my impression. I assume that's the case. Uh, and we would like to, to do that. So that's, that's not 10 years. That's more like three, three years um, to do that sort of thing. But then, you know, the, one of the promises of, of Geiger mode technology is you need one tenth or one twentieth of the amount of light. So you should be able to make these systems more capable and smaller and cheaper um, than things that require, you know, a lot more light. Um, so uh, the the uh, uh, making these things small and compact, you know, like I mentioned the 15 centimeter by one and a half meter. Um, that would be for higher altitude, but for lower altitude things, you could make it even smaller. Um, so those kind of things get us excited. And then um, I think the, the the processing side, which is really kind of half of the system in the sense that you, you get your raw detections, but you got to make sense of them. I think there's a, a, a lot of exciting growth to be had there. And, you know, uh, working with CUDA cores to do processing is is really attractive and very beneficial. So um, you know, it's the same stuff that a lot of other people talk about, but I, I think it is kind of cool. But what it enables, really, that I, I do get excited about the application side is, you know, um, repeat mapping of, you know, important forest uh, resources. For example, is there illegal logging going on? You know, let's go map large sections of Costa Rica or, you know, pick your country where there's uh, heritage or there's... Um, you know, really uh, uh, valuable trees that loggers, you know, Ill illegal loggers like to go in and cut down. Uh, obviously, you can see from the data I showed, you can look in the forest and say, hey, that tree's missing. And you can have an algorithm that does automated change detection to say, there you a year ago, there was a tree there. We gave those guys a permit to do something in here, but it wasn't to cut that tree. Um, and, you know, so in enforcement, then there's also, um, you know, people continue to use uh, LIDAR for archaeology, and we would absolutely like to get into that uh, support role to, to support the archaeologists and what they're doing. Um, documenting uh, carbon capture and sequestration in forests is really important. Um, and then there's the, you know, at a city scale, um, you know, that's not the forestry side, but it, on other markets, um, uh, helping urban planners, you know, the smart city initiatives, all the digital twin stuff. I think we have a really important role to play there because we can get, you know, those high resolutions, 10 centimeters um, 
at large scales very rapidly. Um, so anyway, excited about that. We'll see how it all goes. There's a, a lot of shaking out to do in the different technologies. And I think, frankly, there's a, a really important place for the different kinds of technologies. Yeah, yeah, no, I get I get excited just listening to you and I can sense the the passion, you know, at the start. But when you go to Costa Rica, call me. I'm happy to sit on the base station with my Mai Tai, you know, my flip-flops, my beach chair, and maybe a sunscreen on my nose and just you just give me a call. Happy to back you up on, on that. All right, sounds good. There. So as we look to wind down, I know one of the things uh, you provided me in prep was uh, there's a presentation that you did. I, I can't remember the, the conference or event, but for our listeners and viewers, you may if you're interested in seeing more visuals and, and how the technology works, I thought it was a great presentation. Um, Thank you. Tell me more about that. It, it, was it a, uh, I might this was an Optica conference. Optica. Um, it was over in Barcelona last December, which was a nice trip. You, you um, didn't call me for the Barcelona trip, Dale? Come on. Come on. Come <laughs> on. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So there's a, a presentation I gave there as as part of a, 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 a seminar. Um, great conference. Meet a bunch of people and share some ideas. Sure. So, yeah, I'd be happy to share that. Um, and we are also developing uh, a, a series of small, short explainer videos, which we have to get up on the right host at the right time, but um, definitely working to, to make those just to kind of help this, help people understand kind of some of what we've talked about here, uh, make it into small chunks. For sure, for sure. Well, I suspect some of our, our, our viewers and listeners around the world, their, their interest has been peaked. Um, for those who want to get a hold of you to follow up, what's the best ways? The website, social, LinkedIn, email. What What do you suggest? What's the best way to reach out to you? I would I would send an email to uh, sales um, at three dealidar.com or uh, just uh, to to me personally, it would be fine too. Uh, sure. Dale Freed, D A L E F R I E D at three d e o l i d a r dot com. There you go. Perfect. Excellent. So for everyone in the Digital Forester community, encourage you to reach out if you want to learn more about this, this uh, Geiger mode technology, LiDAR technology. It, it's super cool. That's all I can say. I was blown away by some of the the uh, the images we've seen. So Dale, thanks so much for joining. I hope well, you thank you. the conversation. I learned tons and I'm sure our community is also going to thank you for explaining how this technology works and how they could potentially benefit. So thanks so much for your time. I look forward to, to seeing you maybe in person at some point uh, in the not so far future. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Kevin. And I look forward to uh, learning more from uh, your listeners as well. Please contact me. Happy to, to talk and, and listen, more importantly, about what you're trying to accomplish. For sure. Awesome. We'll talk soon. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye.